Good morning. This is the Real Estate for Breakfast podcast. I am your host, Phil Coover, a partner in Ice Miller's Real Estate Practice Group. And today our guest is Chris Coleman, the Vice President of Development for Wingspan Development Group. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Phil. Appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I always like to talk to developers. Um, you know, our firm and my practice is development heavy, and so it, it really fits within my interest. And I think there's a lot of interesting things going on in the market. So, Chris, you know, thanks again for coming on and tell us a little bit about Wingspan Development Group, and and then we'll talk about how you you came to to be a part of it. Okay, great. Wingspan Development Group is a private, privately owned real estate company focused on multifamily and mixed-use developments in northern Illinois, southeastern Wisconsin, central Florida, uh, greater Phoenix, greater Denver, and greater Atlanta. We currently have uh, active projects in northern Illinois, southeastern Wisconsin, and central Florida. And uh, we're looking to expand into those those other markets. And Wingspan grew out of a privately held general contracting company called Nicholas and Associates that was founded in 1978. And during the course of the family's operation of that company, they would primarily do general contracting work, but they would from time to time do private development work. And they would do it very, they were very opportunistic based on opportunities that came across their desk. So they would build an industrial building, an office building, a strip center, a small residential development. And then around 2016, they purchased the old Little Fuse property in Des Plaines, which is a 21-acre industrial site right on Northwest Highway, walking distance to the Cumberland Metro Station. And with that project, they were initially going to do industrial build a suit and ultimately it was redeveloped as residential, 267 apartments and 127 row homes. And that project, with that project, the family said, we're going to take this, what has been kind of a sideline business for Nicholas and Associates, and we're going to turn it into a real business. And that was the genesis of Wingspan. So we are, we have a sister company, Nicholas and Associates. We are owned by the same family. We get a lot of great cross-pollination between Nicholas and Wingspan. A lot of developers are just pure developers. We're really a developer with a general contractor in-house. So it's a great advantage for us, particularly on the early stage of a project in terms of pricing, pricing analysis, getting really close to the numbers and having someone with completely aligned interests during the design development process. In Northern Illinois and Southern, Southeastern Wisconsin, Nicholas acts as our general contractor. And in those other markets that I mentioned, Nicholas layers in as a CM over a local GC. So again, providing expertise and opinions that are really invaluable to our, to our operation. But Chris, then you can't blame things on the GC. Well, we can, but it's a friendly blend. <laughs> yeah, but I, I suppose that's also part of your 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 pitch, and you know what separates you is that the buck stops with your with your group. Is that right. you know there's no pointing fingers, like we're all aligned, and it doesn't get anyone anywhere to say it was this guy. Uh, you know, it's like we all got to figure it out and do it right. 
Well, tell me about just how you, you came to be a part of Wingspan and uh, how you got brought on. I know you have a, a history of building homes. And I also love that, you know, you're talking about a over 400 unit development in Des Plaines, which is a massive development. But you're like, you know, this side project is now we had <laughs> people's side projects. It's usually like a three flat development. And, you know, on the, yeah, it's a pretty it's been a it's been a pretty steep curve since we did that first one. We've delivered. So that delivered in 2018. Since then, we've delivered almost 1,500 units. We've got about 1,500 units under construction right now. And we've got over 2,000 in the, in the pipeline in some various stage from, you know, letter of intent through entitlement. So it's been a pretty rapid ramp up. But we have the benefit of, you know, being of our sister company. You know, it's not, it's not a tr true startup. you got a lot of experience that has been brought to bear on the, on the accelerated, accelerated but strategic growth of Wingspan. But you're right, my background is actually in production home building. I started here in Chicago with a private company called the Zale Group. That was Ed Zale and his brother Al Zale, but really Ed Zale and his family. Then I worked in Orlando for a company called Morrison Homes. Not exactly the same Morrison Homes that's today now called Taylor Morrison, but an earlier iteration of that. Then I worked in Atlanta for John Whelan Homes. And then I came back to Chicago and started my own company called Buckingham Properties. And that was my introduction to the Papa Nicholas family was that they were going to do that. As I said, they were going to do that industrial build a suit. And then I actually came in uh, as a contract purchaser on that deal. And as we were going through the entitlement process, they grew. I grew to know them. They grew, grew to know me. We have very similar thought process and uh, I would say, you know, outlook and uh, value base. And so it just kind of came together that eventually they said, we'd want to do this together. And so that was the genesis of Wingspan. And then since then, we've, we've been fortunate to put together a really great team here. Jason Macklin came over from Inland Development uh, we've got in-house corporate counsel now, Carolyn Strayhammer, Todd Younger came on board. We raised a fund last year. We're going to do another fund this year. Uh, and we've got just a great team. We've been very fortunate to put together a great team. Small, but great. Small and mighty. So that's, I mean, I, I find that a lot of successful development groups try to keep it lean um, because the more you, you staff up, kind of the more... You have to to feed the beast to pay the, the ongoing operating costs, uh, rather than just look patiently and strategically for when the right deal comes along. You have to do deals to keep the deal, keep keep everyone on the payroll paid. So that that makes sense certainly to me to keep it strong but lean. Um, but you you had mentioned kind of earlier that you're going into other markets such as. Um, Florida, you know, and Denver, I think you mentioned Phoenix, you know, so I know that you're kind of a North, Northern Illinois group um, historically. So what, what attracts you to those other markets besides that everyone wants to be in Florida? Yes. Yeah, yeah, development. Yeah. Well, I say that we are, you know, right now we're the beneficiary that those markets are hot markets, but we didn't pick those markets because they're hot. So we try to avoid at all, if at all possible, avoid paying the dumb tax 
So we are looking to expand as part of our strategy into markets that either I or Jason Macklin, or in some cases, both of us know those markets. We've either done deals prior in those markets or we've actually lived in those markets. So like, in, as I said, I lived in Orlando and worked in Orlando. I lived in Atlanta, worked in Atlanta. Jason uh, graduated from ASU and then lived in the greater Phoenix for, I think, eight years, worked with uh, Armstrong Development for CV, doing a site location and build outs for CVS. So I tease that Jason knows every hard corner in Scottsdale and Phoenix. You know, so and, uh, same thing with Greater Denver. He's done deals in Greater Denver. So those are markets that we know. And I typically use Minneapolis as an example of a market that neither of us have done a deal in Minneapolis. And as you guys know, you know, you're in the business too. The difference of, you know, not only a mile, you know, the difference between four blocks this way and four blocks that way can make a world of difference in terms of the success of a project. And we don't want to end up going into a market and buying a site that everybody else has turned down because they knew better. And we just want to get in there. So that's not our, our uh, MO. Our MO, Phil, is what you described. We want to be patient. We want to be prudent. We want to do good deals in strong locations with good fundamentals. And that means that we so say no to a lot of deals, to a lot of deals. But uh, that's our number one priority is to protect the family and then execute good projects. Well, that makes a ton of sense. It took me about 45 seconds to figure out what you're talking about, the dumb tax, until it clicked <laughs> for me. I was like, is there some new IRS regulation that I'm not aware no. of? I was like, oh, no, it's just going with the markets that you know, not overpaying for things. Yeah. Um, and then you also mentioned that you guys recently started raising funds. Um, you know, what was the, did you just want to bring in partners uh, to help help with deals or, you know, I, I imagine families that have been around for a long time and know a lot of people have relationships they just want to bring along for the ride, um, mm -hmm. so to speak, and kind of grow the pie rather than keep the pie for themselves. But, you know, let me know your philosophy on why you decided to raise the fund. Yeah, that was, I think that was the primary genesis was that the family, again, you've got 40 plus years of activity. So, They've developed this group of extended friends and family that for a long time would ask, you know, how can I participate? Is there a way for me to get in that deal? And really, they didn't have a mechanism for it. And what this this fund allowed them to do was go to those folks and say, OK, here's an opportunity. You've been saying that you want to invest. This is an opportunity for you to invest. And it was really successful. And that's why we're going to do a second one this year. And it. You know, it gives us the opportunity to diversify a little bit. It gives us the opportunity to not lean so heavily on third parties who have their own decision-making criteria and have other competition within their own organization for their limited capital. You know, this is our capital. We can deploy it uh, as we see fit within the guidelines of the fund. But it's just a natural evolution of the growth of the company. And the growth of the organization. Yeah, yeah, I know it's hard sometimes when you have a project to pick and choose limited partners. That this gives you the opportunity to say, "Hey, everyone, 
we know you all want to be part of Wingspan. Like not everyone, everyone, but all the people, the people that you have relationships with, we'll just put it all in one fund. And that way we don't have to pick and choose who's in on which deal and which not right. like, give everyone the opportunity. It also diversifies kind of their investment because it goes right across multiple projects rather than just. That's right. That's right. And we try to, you know, that's something that we try to, sell sell them on maybe the wrong term but uh certainly share with them is that this fund gives them that diversification which gives them protection right it's diversified across geographies and across market segments and that's good for them and it's good for us yeah well speaking of geographies um i see and i'm from decalb which is an 815 area code and i see your you're doing a development out in Plainfield, which I think is a 815 area code too. So I say this with a lot of loving respect, but it's luxury units. And there's not a lot of luxury units in the 815 area code, although that is like actually a really broad area code. Uh, but, you know, tell me about, so I mean, that's gotta be some of the higher end units that'll be available in, in that market. You know, can you tell me a little bit about the philosophy of that project? Yeah, the philosophy of that project was that you've got a lot of job growth in that, what I'm going to call the I-80-55 uh, corridor all the way up to 88. You go 88 to 80-55, tremendous job growth, not a lot of correlating housing for those workers. Plainfield is a great address. That, that development is called 1630. 1630 is the high end, you know, luxury, the luxury, most luxurious garden living you could get. And personally, I love the architecture down there. Studio 222 is the architect down there. We did what we call a neo farmhouse style. Uh, it's, it's eight residential buildings, 43 to 45 units each. So total of 284 units with a central clubhouse with a pool, oversized pool deck for sunning and great location walking distance to downtown plainfield which is a super cute downtown it's got some really nice restaurants you know coffee shop ice cream shop candy store like right out of norman rockwell and uh great great demand there and one of the challenges of that site is that the you know sometimes the local officials have in their mind what apartment living is and they think that it's incompatible with the the tone or the nature of their community and what we've had there is we've had a very good reception the property is leasing up ahead of pace for us it's just a matter of delivering the unit so of the five buildings that we've delivered our occupancy is 98 percent so we believe that we'll be fully built and stabilized certainly by thanksgiving of this year at at rents higher than we projected. Uh, and uh, I just mentioned this because I was at a board meeting for a separate site in Plainfield that we're working on. But I told the board, I said, we've got 36% of our residents coming from Plainfield zip codes. So there's, there's a strong desire even within Plainfield to get this kind of luxury rental living. And that's that 36% has held from the beginning. Sometimes when you open a new development in a town where there's, you know, pent up demand, you get this early pop of local residents who move in 
and then it tapers over time because you've you've tapped that demand and satisfied it. But for us, it's been this 36% plus or minus since the beginning. So that's really a good indicator for de- local demand. And then the overall leasing pace is a strong indicator of demand within that sub-market. Uh, so we really like that Southwest Corridor. We think that uh, it's a great place to be, Great, particularly in Plainfield. Great schools, great town, really nice uh, quality of life. It's terrific. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I, I mean, a couple of thoughts as I'm listening to you articulate that development is, one, I, I wonder in this post-COVID office, remote office, hybrid office, no one really knows kind of how the office will work. But one thing I think we do know is there's more working from home than ever before. And I wonder, you know, Plainfield's um, an hour outside of Chicago, give or take on traffic. And so I wonder if you get more people able to work from home that are that may have previously felt pressure to be closer to the city and closer to downtown office for their jobs that don't have that pressure anymore. And so now they can stay in these communities that are a little bit further uh, from the city core and be totally fine working from home. And then they get the opportunity to live in that type of community. And also, I'm impressed by the 36% coming from Plainfield, but I'm also impressed that that means 64% is coming from outside Plainfield that are moving to the units, yeah. uh, relocating to Plainfield. I mean, that's, I mean, that's also speaking volumes to the development that it can attract that kind of people from outside of town. Yeah. I think your point about, you know, people's flexibility and where they can live is is true, and I don't see it. I see it maybe abating a little bit, but I think it's going to be a long, uh, a long-standing change in just the work environment. Some people, you know, in that market, you've got a lot of people who are working in logistics and warehousing, and those folks are going to have to go to the office or to their place of works. But their proximity is a premium, and we're close to those locations. But for those people who do have the flexibility to work from home. Coming to a place like Plainfield, you get a high, 1630 specifically, you get a very nice design, high quality finishes. We incorporate outdoor space, essentially on every unit, you get a nice size patio or balcony. In the clubhouse, we've got five different, what we call hoteling suites. We've got uh, three individual hoteling suites, which is a place you can go and just work. You want to, you know, you're doing something. In fact, there's ads I've seen, but it's for buying a home. But it's the this woman who's working from home and her roommate is practicing her drumming all the time. So if you want to get out of your unit and you need a place to go, you don't have to go to Starbucks, which is another public environment where someone behind you is yelling or telling a story or whatever. You can go to these individual hoteling suites we have, work in a quiet environment, take Zoom calls, talk to clients. We also have two con- two size conference rooms. So if you wanted to bring a client in, you have a, a professional setting to meet them that's outside of an office. So we try to be sensitive to how people live today and incorporate that in our unit designs and also our amenity spaces. Yeah, no, that makes it t- that makes a ton of sense. I like that hoteling suite concept. I haven't heard that spoken of a whole lot. Um, 
So yeah, that's a really interesting add-on and value to the to living there in the community. So let's let's talk about I, I was uh, just development challenges in general. I've learned since the the start of COVID to date my podcast. So if people listen to this six months from now, they know that we recorded on on June twenty fourth. In case there's a, a huge economic collapse and recession <laughs> in in August or July, and uh, and then what we're about to say kind of has is dated uh, in terms of what's happening in the marketplace. But, you know, here we are kind of halfway through 2022. Interest rates are rising, could rise even more. I think the Fed signaled that. And, you know, the as we sit here today, the market's down a little bit. Um, you know, I, I've just been hearing lots of talk on people's minds about the challenges with development. You have these rising interest costs, the, the construction costs seem to go up every week. Um, but, you know, I, I've also heard some optimism on that, that maybe they'll, that construction cost will level off. But I've, I've also heard that, no, you know, there's, there's a range of views on that. And so I was just wondering, but, you know, as, as we started this call today, you said you're out looking at two more potential sites. So that tells me that the wingspan at least is still, still so, trying to source deals and is still looking. Um, so you tell me if, just a little bit about how you guys are navigating the current marketplace and what, if anything, you're doing to anticipate the future. Yeah, I think that, you know, with the caveat that my opinion is probably no better than anyone else's because my crystal ball doesn't work either. The general philosophy of our organization, and this goes back to what you said early on about not having the pressure to do deals. We are, we underwrite every deal that we have to hold it. So that upon completion, if the market is there for a sale, we can be a seller, right? But we don't, we're not underwriting them to sell. We're underwriting them to hold. So they've got to perform as a held asset for us with a conservative assumptions. So I think that gives us some comfort level that also, as I said, forces us to say no a lot, which is why we got to look at a lot of deals. But I think that gives us a little bit of comfort, both in the short term and the long term. And I think that depending upon what market you're in and what submarket you're in within that market, you can still do well. You know, do you, I think that I think most of your podcast listeners are probably in Chicago. And while we're not in the office sector, I think Chicago has the best and the worst office markets in the country. The best being uh, Fulton Market and the worst being LaSalle Street. A lot of LaSalle tenants moved over to Wacker. So you got huge vacancies on LaSalle Street, but Fulton Market is white hot. So Again, that kind of goes to what I alluded to in the dumb tax. You know, if you don't understand the local market and the dynamics of the local market, you could go into LaSalle Street and, you know, have a vision in your mind of what LaSalle Street is, but you shouldn't, I mean, I'm not telling anybody to or not do anything, but you probably shouldn't go to LaSalle Street right now because you get a lot of support. But I think that that's how we approach it. We approach it as a holder. We approach it with as much due diligence as possible. And again, we're, our number one priority is to protect the family. 
So in terms of some of the other things that you mentioned, in terms of construction costs, I think those are always, there's always going to be some commodity that's volatile. You know, right now, oil pricing influences anything that's got plastic in it. Lumber's been, you know, all over the place the last 18, 20 months. Now it's trending back down. The bigger challenge for us than pricing even, I think, is scarcity. And scarcity relates to these supply chain issues. And it can be month to month, it's a different product. One month, it's, uh, you know, cabinets because they can't get a specific adhesive. The next month, it's uh, rigid insulation. The next month, it's flexible ductwork. So it's kind of crazy. So what we've done as an organization is we've kind of gotten into the business of warehousing where we try to identify specific products that we know have become a challenge to get and appliances is a big one. We're warehousing appliances. Okay. That's not something that I ever imagined that I would ever do in my career as a, as a builder developer, but we're doing it because at the end you need your appliances. You know, no one's renting a unit that's not going to have a, a refrigerator and a stove and a dishwasher. So it doesn't necessarily cost more other than the warehousing space. There's been some appreciation of, of appliances, but more importantly, it's just the availability of the product. And sometimes that turns into design changes. You modify your spec a little bit for a complementary product that maybe it wasn't what you initially called for, but satisfies the, the purpose of that spec. Or it's this, where you warehouse products. Yeah, that's interesting. That's like what we do in the suburbs when we go to the grocery store. It's like, do I need that extra <laughs> peanut butter and a case of beer? Like, well, I mean, I'll use it at some point. Am I yeah, like, yeah. Or remember at, during COVID when people were buying, like paper towels was like gold. It was like a currency. So same kind of thing. We're, you know, we're in the execution business. We're expected to execute. So if there's a, if there's a component that we know we're going to need, Today, we're buying it now and storing it for later. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, I, I've talked to some developers um, who have been dealing with scarcity of products and high labor demand. And some have the sense that, you know, they're a little bit recession resistant in that if there's been so much development and so many people out there competing for the labor and the materials that if if things kind of pull back a little bit and that decreases the demand on labor and materials that they're, they're going to keep doing deals. And so while it might make selling the project be a slightly different cap rate because the interest rates like that, that they'll be OK because they'll they might have you know, the soaring labor costs, some of their other costs might go down a little bit. So it's, it's just a little bit more difficult to to do the projections and the pro formas, but ultimately things balance out and you'll still be, you'll be able to navigate it. Yeah, I certainly hope that's the case. You know, I lived through 2008 and made some, in hindsight, wildly inaccurate projections about the length of that downturn. So you never know what's going to happen. And, and you just try to be as prudent as you can with the decisions you're making today. And again, if it's not right, don't do it. 
if you can't, if you're not getting, if you can't be comfortable, it's better to just, we like to say, you know, I'd much rather not do a deal and have somebody else do it and be successful. And you go up and shake his or her hand and say, nice work than to do the deal and get, you know, take it in the shorts. I don't know if you can say that on the podcast or not. I think that's very acceptable. Um, could, could have gone a lot, a lot worse <laughs> on that one. But um, yeah, so I mean, it sounds like you guys are just keeping going with everything. Is there any markets or types of deals that you're really, that you're targeting that's really high on the, the strategic initiatives list of like, this is what we want to do? Like, what, like what's your directive from the fund and, and people at Wingspan? Like, Chris, what are, what are you tasked with going on sourcing right now? We're tasked, and this I think is a little bit unique for us too. We're tasked with finding really great sites in strong markets. So we as an organization are what I call product type agnostic. We don't have a widget that we're taking around the country trying to find locations that it'll fit in. And I'll use Continental as an example. Continental is a great company. They do an excellent job but they've got their product type. They've got their two-story direct entry. We call it a flat over flat apartment. Some people refer to it as a townhome, but it's a flat over flat living. And that's what they build and they're great at it. But our philosophy is different. Our philosophy is let's find within the markets that we're comfortable with, find a great site and then figure out what will be best received on that site. If that's three-story garden, if it's four-story garden with an elevator, if it's a podium, if it's a wrap, if it's some kind of mixed use where we do some rental and some for sale towns where we do the horizontal development and partner with a production builder to deliver those townhomes, we're more focused on, on sites and markets and submarkets than we are on product. So that's our, that's our task is just to find great sites uh, and then do a good job, you know, working with local staff and community leaders to deliver a good site. I'll tell a quick story about our deal. One of our deals in Tampa, it's called Jade in North Hyde Park. It's 192 units with a 3,000 square foot uh, restaurant user that I can't name, but that was a deal that we were going to do. It's right. It's very close to University of Tampa. So uh, if you're on one of those little Lime scooters, you're five minutes into downtown Tampa. Great, great gentrifying location. We took that project through and got blown up in city council. The neighbors came out, spoke out against it, didn't want it, said the neighborhood's changing too much. We actually redesigned it for townhomes. Okay, so we went from approximately 210 units to maybe 30 townhomes. So you can imagine the difference in the economics of that, hugely different. And then we said, hey, time out. Let's go back. Let's let's regroup. Let's meet with these people. Let's see if there's some common ground that we can find and if we can address their concerns. And through a lot of hard work, and I compliment Jason Macklin on this and our, and our in-market partners, we did a really good job of listening and then responding. And one of the complaints, the primary complaints of those neighbors was, look, We've been living here, you know, forever, essentially. And you developers keep coming in saying you're bringing all this new stuff and these new restaurants and all that. And we can't get to it. 
know, we've got, we don't, we don't have any sidewalks and the sidewalks that we have are in terrible shape. Now that's not our responsibility. We're not in the business of selling public sidewalks or repairing public sidewalks, but what we are in the business of is being a good community partner. So what we did as part of that negotiation and discussion with those neighborhood groups is we installed about 5,000 linear feet of sidewalks throughout the neighborhood, totally offsite of our project. And when we came back for the approval the second time, those same groups that had spoken out against us spoke out in favor of us. Yeah, that's great. And, And you know what? And it was a matter of just getting close to your stakeholders and listening. And you can't answer everybody's concern. You can't give everybody everything that they want. But you can you can listen, and when you can't deliver it, you can say, I can't deliver it. But if you can deliver it, we try to deliver it. And that project's going to be a huge success. We've got, we just opened the on-site office this week, and we're over 50% leased. Wow, congrats. That's yeah. a, it's really cool. I, I love that creative problem solving and you know, just trying to help the community where you can and listen to what they had to say. You know, um, you've, you've mentioned this is something developers come across all, all over the place, but just getting the approval of local government authorities and going before zoning boards and, and city councils. And I know that you take a very active role in those discussions, especially here in you know, Northern Illinois, but just tell us about kind of how you approach I mean, I think that the example you just gave is a is a great example, but even more bigger picture than that, just tell us about how Wingspan approaches local land use approvals. Yeah, I'll give you a tell you a story about we did a deal in downtown Mount Prospect. This was a site that was going to be redeveloped prior to the downturn in 2008, and then you know went fallow for years, and we had a concept to do. Uh, luxury rentals in downtown Mount Prospect, which hadn't been done. So this whole Northwest corridor, if you look at the renaissance of apartment living in suburban Chicago, uh, it's been pretty dramatic from a situation where for 40 plus years, you couldn't get any multifamily rental approved to now there's this awakening of local officials and residents as to what this new design or new style of rental living is. But this was going to be the first new rental community built in Mount Prospect in, I'm going to say, 30 years. It might be a little bit longer. And so what we did was, you know, you try to tell a story with words and pictures, but there's nothing quite like feeling it. So what we did was we took uh, a bus tour with all of the trustees of Mount Prospect, and we went to go see uh, a project actually in downtown Wheaton. You know, and Wheaton is a, was a relatively quiet, you know, downtown area which I don't know if you've been there lately. Wheaton is really vibrant downtown. But we went and took them to see what it was because, you know, it's better now, but you tell a trustee that someone's going to want to live in a 750-square-foot one-bedroom apartment, and they say, you're crazy. Everybody wants a single-family house with a big yard. You know, you say no. So you go, you take them, you show them what it looks like, what it feels like. They see the property. They see the amenities. And just as impactful, they see residents, right? And they see residents engaging with the amenities. And then it clicks, you know, and they say, oh, yeah, I kind of get this. 
And so that 20 West project, we did 20 West in downtown Mount Prospect. Great success. We followed that up with a redevelopment called Maple Street Lofts, which is redevelopment of a six and a half acre site in downtown Mount Prospect. The first multifamily building is 192 units with a 16,000 square foot grocer that's going to be Caputo's. That Maple Street Lofts is now 94% leased, you know, in 14 months. We're very happy with that lease up. But it's a it's this having this conversation, meeting the meeting the officials where they are, you know, and just educating them. You know, I I came up with this thing, and I don't know if it makes sense or not, but like apartments, suburban apartments have gone from shelter to showtime. You know, it used to be you were just that was a place, you know, you lived there because it was either a convenient location or you know, it's what you could afford. You were moving out of your parents' house, whatever. But now what we're building is like a resort, you know, it's and even at like 20 West, that's only 71 units. You still have an exercise facility. You still have uh, a fitness center. You have a yoga studio. You have a common space. We've got an awesome outdoor roof terrace. It's a great place to live. And, you know, that's certainly something new that the suburbs had not seen and uh, is, you know, widely popular among residents. Yeah, no, I, I think the world is definitely changing and there's definitely room for all sorts of different styles of living. And, um, you know, as a single family homeowner, I can say I, I do like mowing the lawn, but I could also see people that don't want to take care of a house all the time because I sure get sick of it when I'm busy and taking kids to kids, taking the kids to activities. It's like, oh man, I got, this is a lot of maintenance. This is a lot of work. And some people don't want to spend the time doing all that work when they can have it taken care of for them and have nice amenities to to enjoy. And um, and also, you know, I think with the millennial population being such a massive population, um, just by sheer numbers, you know, we haven't seen a, a generation that large. You know, not all of them want to have desire or wherewithal to to purchase a single family home in the suburbs, and so. You know, there's there's a lot of good reasons to choose alternatives to buying the traditional single family home. So it's really smart to take the trustees around and show them. And and I have been to Wheaton recently. I was actually in front of their city council a couple times. And um, yeah, that that downtown is is on fire. I mean, it's lovely. There's tons yeah. of things going on there. Yeah. Well, Chris, um, I really enjoyed talking to you today and hearing about Wingspan and and, and all of the. The projects that you're doing, you, I can tell you you really enjoy it. You, you come to life talking about these projects and have, it's incredible the, the numbers you're able to say without even any hesitation. You're able to hit like 192 units, 16,000 square foot grocers, going to be a caputo. You don't even have to look at notes. It's like you, you can tell that you this is your life, you know, focusing on these projects and developing them that you care a great deal about it. So thanks for sharing with us today. Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, I really have enjoyed getting to talk with you. All right. Take care, Chris. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a great day. 
This publication is intended for general information purposes only and does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. The listener should consult with legal counsel to determine how laws or decisions discussed herein apply to the listener's specific circumstances.